Peter, James, and John were out of their league on the mountaintop. The Gospel says Peter hardly knew what to say. He was so terrified. And we've all had that experience at some point of being out of our league. I remember my very first college basketball game. I played for a really small college. But in the preseason, a big university would always invite us basically as a warm-up game to crush us. So my first game right out of, out of high school, we went and played the University of Utah, and they had two seven-footers on the court. And I got tossed around like a ragdoll the whole game. I was out of my league. Well, Peter, James, and John were out of their league. You know, they were still in the early stages of their discipleship, and there they were atop the mountain with Moses, Elijah, the two great heroes of the Old Testament, and Jesus, the Son of God. But Jesus didn't bring them there to stay. They weren't ready for that. He brought them there to see, to see his glory and thereby gain courage for the trials that were to come. Just before Jesus brought them up the mountain, he began to explain to them that things were going to get tough. He told them of his coming passion, how he would be rejected and killed. And he said to them, if you want to follow me from here on out, you have to take up your cross and bear your own share of suffering. So he showed them his glory to, to prove to them beforehand that death would not be the end and to give them courage to brace up and bear their share of the suffering with him. He showed them his glory, which would be their glory as well, because if they would share in his suffering, they would also share in his glory. They were also destined to be full of light. And so are we. That's why Jesus takes us up the mountain on this second Sunday of Lent, to show us where we're headed. Now, sometimes we think that Lent is a time of moral reform. But the point of Lent is not just to become a little bit more virtuous and a little bit more religious. If we make it to the end of Lent and all we can say is, I used to drink three cans of Coke a day and now I just drink water. Or I used to pray five minutes a day and now I pray ten. Well, those are good things, but we've somehow missed the point. It's not about just becoming a little bit more religious and a little bit more virtuous. It's about preparing ourselves to shine with the light of the resurrection, to shine with the very light of Christ. And that's what we see in the life of the saints. They're not only upright and religious, that's a foundation. But what sets them apart is their light. They're radiant. They have a light that brings life to others wherever they go. I've been recently reading a book about the life of St. Francis of Assisi. It's a fictional work, but it has such beautiful descriptions of his luminosity. At one point, there's a, a peasant who had met him in a mountain village, and he describes, he describes uh, Francis this way. He says, his attire is that of the poorest peasant from the mountain. He goes barefoot, dressed in a hooded tunic, darned and patched all over. A truly poor man, but he radiates. There's a light in his face, in his gaze above all. 
Yes, plenty of light and goodness too. And then he goes on to describe the impact that Francis had on his village, which had been a forlorn and sad place. But just his presence and the way he engaged people, the way he listened and he brought the light of Christ to that place. And so he says, before Francis came to us, the people up there lived like beasts and even worse than beasts. There was no joy, no zest, no hope about them. But once a man knows himself to be valued, he isn't the same man any longer. And when he knows himself to be valued by God, he's a saved man. Life up there is as rough as ever, but men have recovered some dignity. Yes, with a man like Francis, everything might well begin again in its pristine purity and original tenderness. So Francis radiates with a light that brings life to those around him. And we're called in our own measure to irradiate that same light. The question then is, how can we begin to live luminous lives? And I think the answer is that our lives will begin to shine when we follow the commandments of Christ with the hearts of sons and daughters. When we follow the commandments of Christ with the hearts of sons and daughters. So there are two parts, following the commandments of Christ and following them with the hearts of sons and daughters. And we see both of those parts in the words of the Father on the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, this is my beloved son. That's the part of having the heart of a son or a daughter. And then he says, listen to him. So let's consider each part in its turn. First, the hearts of sons and daughters. On the mountain, the disciples heard the Father's voice, this is my beloved son. And that was Christ's constant reality. He was convinced in the depths of his soul, in every moment, that he was beloved by his Father. He knew it. And that's the secret motor of the saints as well. You know, when you're convinced that the God in heaven is your Father and he adores you, you're playing a, a new game all of a sudden. You're not depending on your own resources, your own strength, your own humility, your own joy. Because you can count on what comes from Him. And what comes from Him, it never runs out. Listen again to a, a description of Francis. He used to go traveling from town to town preaching. And oftentimes he was uh, forced to sleep out in the open. And this is what this author says of him one night as he fell asleep in the open country. He says, the two brothers fell asleep, but for Francis, God held the entire creation in his hand. All things proceeded from the same love and rested in the same almighty hand. And whoever knew himself to be in that hand might well go peacefully to sleep under the stars. So Francis felt that he and that all of creation rested in God's loving hands. And this experience of the love of God is the secret of the saints. 
It's what makes their works fresh and luminous. And the one who is not convinced of the love of God, even his best works will be contaminated by self-seeking or fear or calculation. But the good news is that God loves you with the same love with which he loved Francis. It's more, God loves you with the same love with which he loves his son. And that's what we see in this episode of the transfiguration of Christ. Remember that when the Father's voice is heard, the three disciples are there with him and a cloud comes down and envelops all of them. And so this voice comes from the cloud, it says. They're all there enveloped in the, cl in the cloud and the cloud says, this is my beloved son. So it's like they enter into the atmosphere of love between the Father and the Son. They're there immersed in that same love. This is my beloved Son. And we know in Scripture that the cloud almost always represents the Holy Spirit. So it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we enter into the love of the Father for the Son. And those words are directed to us in all seriousness. This is my beloved Son. Romans 8 says, You received a spirit of adoption through which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if only we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So it's the Holy Spirit that bears witness from within us that we are beloved sons and daughters. That's the inward proof. And then the outward proof, St. Paul gives us just a few verses later in the same chapter, in the second reading which we heard today. He says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son but handed him over for us all, how will he not also give us everything else along with him? So there's the proof that all this talk about us being beloved sons and daughters are not just poetic words. How can we know how God loves us? By what he gave to gain us, the price he paid for us, his own beloved son. If ever you doubt the love of the Father for you, Consider what he gave to gain you. He gave the life of his beloved son. So when we come to believe this, we've secured the first and most important key to beginning to live luminous lives. And the second key derives from the second half of the Father's words. He says, listen to him. So to begin to shine with his light, we have to do the works of love that he commanded us. Because to be a son or a daughter, it's not just a feeling. It's not a matter of a single experience. It's a whole way of life that Jesus wants to give us. To live and act as sons and daughters. So let's take just one example. In this time of, of Lent, we're exhorted more than ever to give alms. And we heard on, on Ash Wednesday Jesus say, when you give alms, do it in secret. 
Don't let anyone else know about it. Don't let even your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And we can see that when we are faithful to that commandment of Christ, we deepen our own identity as sons and daughters. Because all of a sudden, we're not that worried about what anyone else thinks about us. And we can begin to live under the gaze of our Father. And we begin to love with His generosity. And His generosity begins to flow through us. And as sons and daughters, we begin to appear a little bit more like our Father. So you see how when we're faithful to the commands of Christ, we deepen our identity as sons and daughters. And this is just one example, but I think that you could go through every command of Christ in the Gospels, and you could find that if you're faithful to that commandment, it will lead you deeper into your identity as a son or a daughter. You know, you could read all sorts of books about the love of God. And you could come and you could listen to sermon after sermon, homily after homily, about the love of God. But you will never be deeply convinced that He loves you as a father loves his son, as a father loves his daughter, until you begin to try to be faithful to His commandments. Because they're not merely moral exhortations. They're commandments given by God to live as sons and daughters of God. I think that Peter missed this somehow when he suggested that they make three tents for Moses, Elijah, and Christ. It's like he saw Christ as just one more prophet in the line of prophets. But Christ is not one more prophet. He's the God of the prophets. And his words are not like the words of Moses and Elijah. Moses gave the law. And the law was wise, but it had no power to transform those who received it. And Elijah and all the prophets with him called the people back to the law. But their words had no power to transform people. But Christ, when he speaks, his words have power. He commanded that the light be at the beginning of creation, and there was light. He's the Son of God, and so when He commands us, He creates in us the power and the desire to fulfill that command. He gives us the hearts of sons and daughters. It's not automatic, of course, because we're free. And, but if we open ourselves to His Word, it will transform us. He says, love your enemy and gives us the grace to do it. He says, do not worry. And that very word gives us peace. He says, wash one another's feet. And a new love rises up in our hearts. Now, I, want, I don't want to face, paint a, a false picture. I don't mean to imply that it's easy or automatic to follow the commands of Christ. We all know that that's not the case. Otherwise, we'd read through the Gospels once and we would be saints. But maybe we could understand it this way. When Christ speaks to us, He doesn't plant fully grown plants. He plants seeds. And there is a power in the seed. But still it has to grow. And it has to grow in, in the hard and rocky hearts, uh, soil of our hearts. 
But that's precisely what this time of Lent is for, to soften our hard and rocky hearts so that the Word of God might grow in them through fasting and prayer and almsgiving. So let's accompany those holy practices with a daily reading of the Gospel. If you haven't taken a Lenten meditation booklet that are there at the entrance of the church, take one today. I've been praying with it each day and they're very beautiful reflections that accompany each gospel, daily gospel. I strongly recommend it. The Father says, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. If we listen to His Word every day this Lent and put it into practice, when Easter comes, we'll shine with the light of the resurrection. We'll begin to do the works that Christ commands us with the hearts of sons and daughters, and we'll shine.